Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Journey, where Michael Pelosi leads discussions with successful entrepreneurs to learn about their journey of starting, building, and eventually selling their business or transitioning into the next generation. The goal is to allow you to learn from their knowledge, experience, and wisdom as you pursue that in your own business. Michael Pelosi is the president of HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, and brings over 30 years of experience working with business owners to organize and manage their business and personal financial plans to help them define and realize their personal version of success in their lives and businesses. Welcome to another edition of The Entrepreneur's Journey, where we interview successful entrepreneurs who have either recently sold their business or have passed their family business down to the next generation. And we'd like to share their stories and success with our listening audience. Today, we have on our podcast, Bill Hoffman, president of Hoffman Exterminating. Bill's story is a little bit different where he has not yet sold his business, but has worked really hard to grow his business to 100 plus employees and is in the process of looking at different areas and ways to successfully sell his business for him, his partner, and his employees. Welcome to the podcast today, Bill. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. Great to be here. Bill and I have been friends for a long time, and we've both seen our businesses grow successfully, and we enjoy our friendship and our business relationships. We sit on some boards together. So I've been looking forward to this interview. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate to be here. Great. I always like to start out with something personal before we get into business. And I know you're a big fisherman and you're always down to Florida and the Keys. Tell me about the one that got away. Well, I think the one that got away was uh, first place at the Tarpon Tournament down for in Marathon, Florida for the Ronald McDonald House. So every year I've been fishing down there, you know, competing pretty well. And then one year I decided that the girls wanted to fish together. So I put my wife on an all-girls team and they took first place. Did they really? They kicked their butts. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. All these years, you know, one fish away, two fish away. Yep. I put my wife on another team with two girls, and they kicked our butts. I love it. So, love it. so from now on, she's on my team. That's it. No more. No more trading her off. Dawn's the ringer, right? That's it. She's the ringer. So I love she did it. well. I love it. What was the prize money for that? Most of the prize money goes back to the kids. I mean, we, we go down there, raise money for the Ronald McDonald houses. It's actually for the camps that they do it in the Philadelphia Pocono area. So if you get money, it's really bragging rights. I mean, yep. people want the trophy, the money we just donate back. It's all That's about awesome. fun. That's awesome. And just as a side note, before we get into business, you are involved in a lot with the community and also Ronald McDonald House. Take a couple minutes to just explain what you've done for Ronald McDonald House and the fishing tournaments and things like that down there in Florida. Yeah. So one of the things we did when we first started the business 32 years ago was we wanted to be more than just a business. We wanted to be really part of community. So we we really looked at the community in large and said, what, what are the things that are close to our heart? Ronald McDonald House has always stood out as being one of those organizations that it just seems to always be you know, in need, but also what they do for the kids and the families that come from all over the world to get treatments, especially in the Philadelphia area. So that was what the first really... I called partnership that we got involved with and it just has flourished from there it obviously opened doors for businesses it opened up doors for other communities and we've also learned how the nonprofit business works behind the scenes and that really opened our eyes to say some of these nonprofits really need the community behind it to be successful and so we picked a bunch of them we do habitat for humanity the ron mcdonald houses obviously we're real engaged in the autistic community right. uh, through the eagles and through the new jersey networks as well and you know our team really builds behind that they really are engaged when we do these events yep yep i guess it's what makes your team great is not only you do 
work at well, but also your communities, you're, you're really involved and that's what builds you guys close together, right? Let's start with a brief description of how you kind of got started in Hoffman's. I know you didn't start, you know, from the beginning in Exterminating. Tell me a little bit about your beginnings. Yeah, so I grew up right here in Gloucester County. I was actually working for my teacher, Bob Exley, who owned a, a nice landscaping company mm-hmm. right here in Seoul, New Jersey. Yeah. And his father owned a pig farm in Defert, New Jersey. Okay. So, you know, most of the kids in our class were like, hey, what are you going to do? So either working at fast food or landscaping. So I decided to work with Bob and worked a few years with him, worked on a farm, worked on his father's big farm, and really loved working outdoors, loved working with my hands. So about two, three years into that job, my uncle came to me. He was working for Acme Markets as a food sanitarian. And he came out of family function and said, hey, you know, the exterminator that I deal with is looking for summer help. So, you know, I was working on a pig farm, working on landscaping. I said, well, it can't be much harder than that. So took the summer internship and just started working. And then in 10 years, grew up to a general manager position at a very young age. And then decided that maybe I still wanted to do something different and left that company and sat back for a little while, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, did a little construction, but then fell back into pest control. And when I started the business, I realized that I didn't want to be a technician. I I didn't want to be the worker. I wanted to build a team. So with the experience I had for those quick 10 years and really seeing how Bob actually ran a business, I said, I can do this. I I can start a business. And we put a business plan together. I started out of my house for four years, grew the, the business pretty quick, mostly in Gloucester County. And then since then, just continue to try to learn from other business leaders and how I can grow my business and really provide for the community, provide for my workers, and really do a service that's well needed in the area. That's great. That's a great story. And it shows you that hard work pays off. You know, yes. it, does, it does not always about the college education. It's about hard work and determination, which is great. Tell me how you grew Hoffman's right now. You're 100 employees strong. Mm-hmm. You have offices in multiple states. Yep. How did you grow by helping the competitor? That's, you know, when you told me that earlier in our conversation, I was like, you help your competitors. That doesn't sound normal. It sounds like opposite. So tell me why that has been successful for you and why you chose to go that route. Well, it's pretty interesting. My 10 years when I worked for a regional company, they put a lot of money into development of their leadership. So I got, I think, a real good head start on some of the smaller competitors in my area. So when I left and started my own company, some of these smaller companies were talking about, hey, how do I hire salespeople? How do I put comp plans together? How do I write standard procedures? How do I read handbooks? And I'm like, wow, this I know how to do all this stuff. This is kind of easy for me. So I started helping my competitors. I, let me help you write a handbook. Let me help you write a, a standard procedure or let me help you write a comp plan. And by doing that, I realized I had a little niche, which was I could get my, you know, my knowledge to other competitors. And that actually was coming back to me because sometimes they didn't want certain services. Maybe I was in an area that they weren't. Maybe they didn't want to go to the Jersey Shore. Maybe they had an account in Philadelphia they didn't want to service. So we started doing some subcontracting work for them. And I had a lot of experience with large accounts, large food processing accounts, large hospitals. So they would kind of say, hey, I'll give it to you because you've helped me. And we started doing that over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, we got a reputation of basically helping other pest control companies, even ones that are in our competitive market, and we realized that by helping, you know, basically a competitor, we weren't really hurting ourselves. We we're actually helping ourselves. We got to know people. People 
got to know us. And our recruitment from day one was very aggressive. People just wanted to come work for us. And to this day, even with this community, you know, that's hard, having a hard time firing people, we really still have not a hard time finding people. We're still attracting a lot of people to our industry. That's great. That's unique in any industry, not just exterminating right. to genuinely want to help your industry and help your competitors has come back to help you. And probably they're better better for it also because you're building a better community. Yep. All industries should really work that way a little bit better because then we would all be able to help the public. And that's that's the end goal is to help the public. And I think it raises the bar. I mean, if you help your competitor, you all push each other to get better. Yep. It raises the bar for all of you. If everybody just throws out, you know, does all the, you know, the work that's not, you know, not kosher and so forth – it's not real good. I mean, if you raise the bar with everyone, you get better quality, you get better quality people, you can reinvest in your business better. And that's what we've, we've seen, that if we reinvest in our community, even our competitors, it does raise our bars. It makes us better at what we do. Yep, absolutely. And as you know, this whole podcast is about helping other business owners and entrepreneurs learning from your experiences. And I think that's a great tidbit that everybody listening to this podcast in their industry should figure out a way to help each other out. Yep. You know, that's definitely a great thing. What's your position on viewing your business, right? We're talking about eventually selling your business, but you had a unique viewpoint on selling your business as part of your retirement plan. Because I think in our past conversations, you spoke about some other business owners like, well, I'll just work till you know the day I either pass away or I'll just sell it someday. How did you see that differently and view that as part of your retirement plan? Well, we're working with our competitors. We found out that our industry was an aging industry. So we would talk to an owner who was in her late 60s or, you know, they would start talking about, well, I'm going to give this business to my son or a key employee. And when we start working with them and talking to them, we realized that there was no plan and there was no discussion about if that employee and or son or daughter was going to take over the business. And they just assumed. And then when they actually sat back and said, well, wait, how am I going to get paid because I need some income and how are they going to survive? And there was no, there was no working. So helping these competitors, we actually acquired some of these businesses because there was no plan. And we hired their family members. We kind of successfully kind of gave them a buyout, if you would. And then when we were doing that, we're like, well, what's, what's going to happen to Hoffman's? Because right. we know that every business is going to be sold someday. There's going to be a transition of ownership. And I always tell you that that sale is that that four-letter bad word. But realistically, every business will have a transition at one point or another. And the thing is, when do you start thinking about it? Well, you don't think about it when it's time. You think about it well ahead of time. And, you know, we've always known that, hey, we're going to – we're going to look into all the options, and that's what we continue to look at. Is this company going to be an ESOP? Is this going to be a key employee? Is this going to be a roll-up? Is this going to be a partnership? And you have to look at everything. And in this this market that we're in right now, you really better keep your eye on everything that's happening because you know you have to have a plan for both your customers, your employees, and yourself and your family. And if you can figure out a way to match all three of them, where your your customers are still getting great service, your employees are have a great job, great career. And your, you and your family are taking care of, that's the plus. Listen, any business owner can just sell and take off to Aruba. The problem is the employees usually are the, the collateral of that, and exactly. so are the customers. And my goal has always been I want to make sure that when a transition happens, all three of those metrics will be met. Yep. I've noticed and I watched and I followed you how you've grown the business, right? And you constantly are 100% transparent with your employees. Yes. And I think that's a, that has attracted 
a lot of good employees. And it also is a good retention tool because they know that, yes, you may sell the business someday, but you're doing it with the intention of what you said, those three parameters. And I always hear you say your employees are the biggest factor of that. Of the three, that's the most important one. And that's what will help the sale, but that will also help them in the future too, knowing that one bill is no longer running the company, that they still have a great job and a great company behind it, which is incredible. Why do you think a lot of business owners are afraid to communicate that with their employees or their clientele? Well, I think it's just the unknown. I mean, the employees don't know exactly why they're selling, who they're selling to, and they don't know the transition period. So nobody nobody likes uneasiness, especially in your job. How's that going to affect me? And the average worker is really concerned about their desk, you know, their little huddle. So they don't know how it's going to affect them. Is it going to affect them positively, negatively? Nobody likes change. So when they hear this, they, oh, the owner's selling out and there's another company or a competitor or he's going to sell it to an, our biggest competitor. And for years, we beat that competitor up and now we have to be part of that family. I think that uneasiness feeling, and I call it the blended family. All of a sudden, you got stepmom and stepdad and stepbrothers and stepsisters, (laughs) and nobody understands where their role is going to be, where where their pecking order is. But I think if you communicate people, and again, we've told our people from day one that something's going to happen. I'm not going to work forever. Maybe I'm the board of directors and I have an an ownership. Maybe I'm not an ownership, but there's going to be some transition. And people you know, actually start understanding that. And, you know, my goal is to say, hey, I want to build my team that maybe one of them or all of them become an owner. Yep. Yeah, that's that's great. You had mentioned about sell as a four-letter dirty word. That's I kind of wrote that in my notes here. And you discussed that, but why do you why do you think that the business owners aren't willing to go like we had one business owner who said that you know the day that he sold is the day that everybody found out and and i think that to your point didn't make much sense what what's your kind of take on that as you you talked about a little bit earlier again well i think there's you know there's always a secrecy like we can't let people know that we're having a transition or whatever that is and i've never been about that i mean when we're interviewing managers leaders even vendors we talk to our employees about that. Hey, we're going to sh- switch insurance companies. We're going to get a new truck. We're going to move a new office. If you get the buy-in early and you discuss everything up front, the transition is going to be a lot better. I mean, if I'm a buyer, I don't know if I want to walk in there day one and introduce myself as the new guy. All right. That's an uneasy feeling. And when we brought people in, we brought top-level people in, we'll bring them in for weeks and weeks sometimes just shadowing to see if the culture is a fit. And I think with uh, small businesses, small health businesses, culture is probably the number one thing. Yep. The market is crazy. Everybody's paying more than they should for everything, including buying businesses. So as a seller, if you have real estate, if you have a business, you can make your mark. The problem is after that money's gone, yep. you know, the business is supposed to continue. And the, the faster you get that up and running, the better the culture blends the more you can grow. And it's funny, kind of led into my my next question is, although you're a great bug guy, mm-hmm. you're also a great numbers guy. I've been impressed over the years of how well you know your numbers and your books and the metrics. And it's impressive to see you run your business and grow the business that way. How are you going about looking at the different types of valuations of eventually selling your business? What is your approach? What have you found maybe the best way to value a business? So it's interesting. So the valuation in our businesses, in our industry, has gone all, all over the place. It's gone up threefold since the last five or 10 years. And that's because new players have come into the market. We've had two out-of-the-country 
companies come in, one from wow. Sweden and one from the UK. And they brought different metrics into the United States. So in the United States, there's two leading companies, Terminex and Orkin. They were the top dogs for many, many, many years, both over 100 years old, both doing over a billion dollars in sales. A company from the UK came in and started buying what we call staple companies or a platform company. And all of a sudden, we said, hey, wow, this company is not from the United States. They're given different multiples, and they're looking at it differently. Uh, then a Swedish company, a private equity company from Sweden came in and said, you know what? We want to get into this market, and we're going to buy some platform companies. And that changed the, the format. Then we had a company called, you know, which everybody knows, Ecolab, which is a huge company, sure. decide that they're going to get into the market. Oh, wow. So what happened is we realized that the recurring model that pest control runs like landscaping, home cleaners, was a very attractive model for private equity companies. And it changed the valuation processes dramatically for both buyers and sellers. We still look at this as it's still customers. Sure. I mean, you're still buying customers because our business is not an asset-rich business. It's goodwill. Mm -hmm. And these companies don't understand it. Even though they're paying a lot of money and the sellers are making a fortune, mm -hmm. we still don't see that that's actually helping the industry. It's just consolidating it but the service isn't there yet. Wow. And we really, we feel that we have a niche because we're a small-based business. Even though we have 100 people, what we did is broke out our companies or our offices into small family quadrants. And we want them to be part of community. And I think that's what pest control is. It's a very personalized service. We're going into people's homes and businesses, yep. dealing with something that nobody wants to deal with. But we're also protecting their structure, protecting their health. And we realize that even though the money is there and the valuations are there, it's not real money. It's mm. almost like if you if you had any accountant, any financial guy look at books and say, well, this is what your <laughs> business is generating as far as cash or revenue, but you're going to get how much? We don't even figure out how that works. Wow. So wow. it's exactly what's happening in your industry. So we're not looking at the valuations as far as money. We're looking at the valuations as how does that help our business grow? How does that help our people? Are we in an industry area? Are we in a geographical footprint that continues to help us grow? And we look at that much stronger than the money because in the end, the money's going to go away. Sure. It's going to be replaced. Customers, what you want. You want customers good, solid customers, yep. which actually helps us grow the density, which also helps us grow our employees. Yep. Because we have more you know, more trucks on the road. People see us. It's kind of like the action news van. There's exactly. that news van again. And we're attracting people because they see us everywhere. And even though we're growing, we're still staying small in essence with the community. Yep. We use your services commercially and then residentially. And- for the most part, over the years, it's always been the same, you know, employee, same worker coming to our house. And they know our house and my wife's comfortable with them. Yep. And, and they just build a good rapport. So it's it's not like our past exterminator where like, oh, here comes the exterminator. You know, it's like one of the family. Right. And so you build a great work ethic and culture for your employees to make when they walk in our offices, they say hello to everybody. They, you know, they know, they know the office. Yep. It's not like there's somebody new here every time. So that works out great. Yeah. And we, and we used to tell people when we hire them that, Hey, you know what? You never know who I know. And you're always probably going to be servicing a family member's house or a friend. So when we hire people and people always ask us, how do you get these friendly people? We talk about every day that you're going to be going to somebody's home or business that we probably know. So that is going to get back to us. And they, they do this. I was in, you know, I was in Lancaster and somebody knows you. I'm like, yeah, well, I have friends <laughs> and family everywhere. And I think that really resonates with our team that, you know, it's a family business yep. and you have to always act as if you're family. Exactly. So most of our guests, as I explained, have already sold their business. Mm -hmm. 
And I wanted you to come on because I think the process that you're going about to think about what you want to do and the various different options of selling your business are more than what most people go through. Most people say, I'm either going to sell it to a big company or I'm going to pass it down. You've gone through many different options, which I think is a credit to you and your company. Can you give me your thought process of why you looked at the different options and maybe some of the pluses and minuses, how pertain to your company or your industry? It's funny. So the first thing we talked about when we talked about selling a business or how's my transition going to be out, and we started doing this about five years ago, is I said, I need to make myself operationally irrelevant, is I need to make sure that I'm there, but I'm not needed to run the day to day. And that has been a transition that we've been going through, that I keep developing leaders in our business that makes me operationally irrelevant. So I'm the, I'm the face, I'm the vision, I'm the personality, but if I can get my business not to need me to run day to day and they still do all the things that I want them to do, then a decision of when I want to transition becomes my decision not a financial decision. And that was my main goal, that I don't want to get to the point that I have to sell the business because that's where my financial wealth is going to come from. I've always built my business as if, you know, I'm a worker of the business. I bring a W-2, I get a 401k. I want to treat myself as a true worker. I want to make sure that I'm looking at my portfolio personally and the business is not really part of that. That's the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. But the first thing we realize that I have to make sure that I'm not the person that's actually running the company. I want to continue to keep getting better and better at finding the right people, the right leaders, training them, developing them. So they run the business day to day. And at any time, if I would say, hey, if I walked out today, my business is still Hoffman's. The people are doing the things that they need to do. I can decide at that point, those options become great. Yep. And that's why I think some some owners forget. They get to the point, they say, I'm going to sell my business. That's my retirement. All right. And then they get to the point that they go to, re- to do that and the business starts falling apart. Before that happens, they realize they, you know, they're not as valuable as they were because they realize, hey, if you don't stay around, we don't want your business because you are the business. You are the business, sure. And then they're like, wow, I was hoping to sell the business to retire. <laughs> exactly. And I see so many owners selling their business and then still working just as hard as they were before because yep. their business was harder. not set up for them to walk away. And that's the true test of if you, you really build a good team. Yep. Can you walk away? And that business still clicks. I always use a, a football analogy like, you know, you don't see a coach catching a pass. Yeah. You know, when a team fumbles, they don't run out and grab the ball. And as owners, if we learn to do that, mm, don't analogy, grab the right. ball. Let them fumble. Let them lose. Let them kick the field goal. Let them miss the field goal. Develop them, develop them, develop them so they know how to win when the game's on the line. Yeah. Now, that's a great point because just like your children almost, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't help them when they make mistakes, they're going to rely on you. Same thing with your employees. If you continually help them when they make a mistake, they're always going to rely on you. Let them learn, let them build, you know, build the right systems around them and the team around them so that they recognize the mistake maybe the second time, or they yep. learn from it. And after they make the same mistake once, maybe twice, they're going to be able to fix it out and fix it. And then also other team members will rally around them too. They may recognize, hey, I made that mistake also. Right. And they help their other teammate out. And then together as a team, they fix those problems too, yep. which is what you build. We we call that ma- you know building a self-managing company. Exactly. That's the same thing that you're trying to do is build a self-managing company because you want to have it for the next generation, definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I think years ago, the, the sons, daughters would take over the business. You, you see second, third generations. But I'm not sure that we're in that 
that era again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to have sons and daughters and family members that want to run their legacy. Yep. And businesses don't seem to have that 100-year, 150-year legacy anymore. They're going to be short, switched around. You know, both my kids did not want to come into business. One's a teacher, one's a nurse, but that's what they wanted to do. Yep. And, you know, it was kind of funny. In the beginning, I remember talking to them when they were in high school, and they looked at me and says, oh, you just worked too many hours, Dad. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Now they're both, you know, <laughs> they're both working on godly hours. But they, what I, I think I taught them was work hard. Just work hard. You're going you're to have to put the time in to do it. And both of them are doing real successful. But in the beginning, their reasoning for not doing it is, oh, dad, you just work too much. Yeah. You know, I, didn't wanna, I don't want to get in business. And they end up both picking careers that they're they're working okay. all the time. But it's something that they have passion and they love. And yep. so it's all good. Yep. So that they have your hard work ethic, but in the field that they love to do. Exactly. Right. Yep. So there's, there's so many different aspects of getting ready to sell a business. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot of people just think, "Oh, I'm just going to ask someone to buy it. They're going to write me a check and they walk away." How have your different advisors played a role in you preparing and getting ready to eventually sell the business someday? And just yeah. your thought process. I, I compare it to selling a house or anything else. I mean, is your housekeeping in order? I mean, you know, you don't want to sell something that's not right. So run a good, solid business. As if tomorrow, somebody's going to come in and say, "Hey, I need to look at everything. I need to kick the tires." Well, you don't want to wait till that point because then it's so obvious. Right. So run a great business. Like assume tomorrow you would have to sell and would everything be in order? Would you know your employees be in order? Why financials in order? Your business in order? All your fares in order? And always run your business that way and then always make it better. Mm. And then just always put yourself in the seat of the buyer. Like right. if you're buying this, right. what would you look at? You know, would you lift up the hood? Would you check the dipstick? What would you be really looking for? And again, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be the people. Are you buying the people, or you don't care about the people? You don't care about the culture. You just you just want the customers, and you're just going to move those customers. Right. But you have to assume that everyone's going to buy it for a different reason. Yep. But you got to make sure that everything is is run. You want to almost brag. You must want a buyer to come in and say, "My God, this this company's why, why do you want to sell? It's, it's run so well." <laughs> That's what you want. Exactly. You don't want a buyer to come in and says, "Well, I got the cash. Your, you know, your your financials are in your misorder. You're mismanaging your money. So you almost need my buyout exactly. to survive." And that's a bad position to be put in. I exactly. mean, you want to be put in a, you know, like I said, right now, if you have a home, mm-hmm. you're in power right now. Actually, if you're an employee, you have power. Exactly. If you have an employee, or you know, you have the power. So treat your employees as if they're they're shopping. Yeah. You know, treat your business as if somebody's buying it today. So. Everything should be in order. Get great financial advice. Get involved in communities, chambers, associations, and listen to your community leaders. Listen to your other business leaders, whether they're in the industry or not. It tells you what's going on. And then try to take as much as you can. How much can I implement this? But then make it your own. I mean, make it a niche. And we have a really good niche in our company. But make it a niche that a buyer looks at you and says, my gosh, this is the company I want. Yep. It's just perfect. It's everything I wanted. The people are great. Financials are in order. They got a good community outreach. They're growing. They have great presence. I mean, that's what makes it powerful yeah. when you get to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's think about looking backwards a little bit. You know, there's a lot of, there's a couple of things that we look at in our industry. We call it the gap in the gain, right? Mm-hmm. The gain is looking backwards of where you came from. Right and looking to where you are today, right? That's the gain. What would you say is your most consistent trade or attribute that you would say was your most, 
has gotten you to where you were today? What was your consistency that, you know, that you could say that's what I relied on, you know, day to day, even in the tough times? I mean, I think it's being extremely engaged in our employees and our customers. I mean, to this day, there's not a customer that can't pick up the phone and call me on my personal cell phone. And I still answer the phone. Same with the employees. I mean, if an employee that's been with me two weeks calls me or 25 years, it doesn't matter. I want to listen to our customers and our employees. And, you know, I never want to lose that focus. So as I grow, I had to figure out what can I continue to give away or train so somebody can do that part of the job so I can continue to do that. And no one else can do that. I mean, that's the thing is no one else can be the president of the company. So if I can continue to do that and I, you know, customers say, I still reach out to you, you still pick up the phone. My employees, like on the weekends at night, they'll call me with the, in their eyes, the biggest problem in the world. And if we can continue to do that, (laughs) and I think what that does is teach our leaders like, hey, if Bill's going to pick up the phone, I better pick up the phone. Exactly. And I don't do it to compete with them. I don't do it to to undermine them. I say, listen, if they call me, they want to talk to me. Yep. And I'm going to listen to them. And same with the customers. And I love to still get out there in the field. Now, I'm still bug guy at heart. Yep. I love the business part. There's no doubt. I mean, from day one, I knew the business was the real exciting part of what I do. But I still love the nature, the part of the business that go out, solve a problem. And when I hear somebody says, listen, I had crickets. You know, Jason was just in here, says, you know, my wife was moving out of my house, you know, because we had crickets and you you, you saved my marriage. Um, and that's the funny stories that we love that, you right. know, that people don't like bugs and we do a lot of health care. We also do a lot of food. So we're not just protecting the nuisance of bugs, but we're making sure that we're checking, the, controlling the food chain, health. So when we solve a problem, that's great. And that, that's our niche. So Get me your people, get me your customers, know that's where I came from. You know, the first customer I have, yep. I still have today. And I let them know that they were still my first customer. And that's hard to do as you grow. But if you build that culture, your leadership team starts doing that. Yep, absolutely. So I have an off-the-cuff question talking about just doing whatever it takes. Will you still get in the in the bee costume? Yes. What's I the, still what's get the, the name bee. of the bee? Bugs Bee. Bugs yeah. Bee. We Bugs still get in Bugs Bee? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm probably doing it this weekend at the Lake and Alley <laughs> Foundation. Uh, but um, yeah, still getting a bee costume. I, yeah. I I still get in a bee suit. I'm still a beekeeper. So, you know, I still get in a bee suit and go out and I do training at kids' events and, and high schools about how to be a beekeeper or, or a pest control guy or That's mosquito great. control officer. Or something. So it's still fun to get out there. And again, it's not an industry that we see too much in college is that it's advertised, but it's an industry that continues to grow. It's a science-based business. So we're actually getting a lot of the younger folks that are real environmentalists. They really are interested in this field because we can do a lot of great things with organic. We can do a lot of things with suppression of insects that are harmful, but also protecting the beneficial insects. So the younger kids seem to be very environmental conscious. Oh, that's great. And they like to help the world. Yep. So, you know, we're going out to these these high schools and working with these kids and talking about, you know, beekeeping, mosquito control without damaging crops. You know, so they're really interested in that type of environment. That's great. One of the things which is unique, I would think, in in your industry is how you – thought a lot bigger, right? You had, some of your growth was by purchasing some of the competitors as they were growing out. But recently in the past couple of years, you've acquired some large sports complexes. Correct. Right. So how does an extermination company get to a level where you're almost partnering with these sports complexes? That's unique in your vision and unique in your way of helping the community because I think they led to each other. Yep. Could you talk a few minutes about how you got involved in the, in the sports complexes and how it's grown from right. there? So it's kind of funny. So I always tell the story because it's about who we are. So 
we're partnering with the Philadelphia Eagles, which was obviously one of our biggest, you know, partners right now, most notoriably. How it started with, we helped a fellow PCO that actually got sick and it was a one-man operation. And his wife called me and she said, geez, you know, my husband's really sick and we have these customers. We don't know how to service them. If we don't service them, we're going to lose our business. Mm. So I said, well, I have a, a technician that's available. How about if I have them stop at your house, pick up their customers list, and we'll go out and service your customers. And I thought it was going to be a week. And it ended up being about three months. Wow. So he finally got better. And when he got better, he just came out of the, the hospital. He says, listen, I can't do this again. I'm going to sell you my customer list. I'm going to come work for you. So he did. One of his customers happened to be the partner guy for the Philadelphia Union. Mm. So he says, hey, you're my customer. Why don't you come talk to me about being a partner with the Philadelphia Union? I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> so we sat down and, and, and he sat down, you know, and just scribbled out some notes like, well, if you're a partner, you know, maybe we can get you to stadium, maybe we can get you some business and, you, you know, you'll get to use the Philadelphia Union. We'll give you some tickets. And I'm like, wow, it just seems so complicated. Mm-hmm. There's too many moving parts. But he really walked me through that. And he really said, listen, this is this is what's going to happen. You, you, we're, we're going to help you get exposed to a different market, you know, the soccer mom, if you would. Sure. And um, I looked at his demographics. I'm like, well, that's South Jersey, Philadelphia, Delaware. I said, well, that's our footprint. So maybe this could work. Maybe if somehow I can use them to get my name out there, I get more business. So that started that process of a partnership. And didn't know, and they've been teaching us. And I've been constantly going in there and trying to learn from these people that have done partnerships with sports teams and buildings. And we really start learning. Well, because we got real involved and we really wanted to get involved in our youth academy and, you know, we really realized that the sports fans were one thing, but what they were doing behind the scenes, which was helping the Chester soccer team, helping the city of Chester, going out to do youth academies, teaching kids how to play soccer, I'm like, I'm like, that's us. That's our niche. Right. So we start working with them there. Well, that got us recognized for the Philadelphia Eagles. Huh. So they seen what we were doing with the Philadelphia Union, and I got another call wow. and says, would you like to be a partner with the, the Philadelphia Eagles? And actually, I, I, <laughs> I must have let that thing go to voicemail five times. because I'm like, oh, my God, this is just a sales guy. Right. He's going to hit me up. You know. But after talking to him, we realized that it's the same mentality is that they're going to introduce us to a fan base. They're also going to introduce us to things that they do in the community that with their name, we can get more exposed. Right. So they said, hey, we realize that you do a lot of things with the autism community. We're like, yes. Well, that's Jeff Lurie's biggest right. charity. Exactly. Would you be interested in doing the charity walk, the autism charity walk? And I'm like, well, yeah. So after that, we kind of start working into how do we become a partner with the Philadelphia Eagles. Amazing. And the stadium is run by, you know, a different organization. So we had to get vented through the stadium and then the Novacare. So we had to work with facilities, marketing, and the ownership. And again, I, both those organizations really helped me learn. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but they really helped me learn that it's a true partnership. Right. It is not, I am not paying the Eagles money just to use their logo. We are a true partner. We get engaged with their community events. They help us. They coach us. They bring us to B2B meetings. They introduce us to things. They let us use their facilities when we want to do things. And that has led us to understand partnerships. You don't need it in the same industry. You know, you just want good community partnerships, good stewards in the community. And if you find those people, grab them. Yeah. Because they will, whatever business you're in, they're going to help you grow your business. And they're going to introduce you to people that you may have never known prior to this. That's funny. You're talking about looking for partners and you want to grab them. 
the union and the Eagles looked at you as a partner and they wanted to grab you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a great story. That's best of luck with that. And there's yeah. lots of other stadiums around that you can partner yeah. with. Definitely. Yeah. So let's look at one decision, right? If there was one decision that you could talk to young Bill way back when, when you started out working at Acme Markets, mm-hmm. right? That you said that you may have made a mistake or you would have done differently looking back. What would that conversation look like that you would help that young Bill out and say, here's something that you know I think you should do differently? I think it's just not being so naive and understand what you don't know and ask for help early on. I think when I was younger, you're more in tune to just say, I can do this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to outwork problems. And you do, you really try to outwork the problems and you don't face those problems, whether it be financial or hiring people or training people. You just think if I just outwork it, it'll go away. And you have to realize that everything you do in business, you need a plan and you need to make sure that you know, you're, you're looking at your financials all the time. So in the beginning when I was growing and I was out there working, yeah, the banking, the financials, they'll, they'll just come around. Or, you know, I'll hire somebody when I need them. I don't want to develop them too early because I can't afford them. So you have the, a shorter vision in the beginning part of your business. You know, I had that big vision at the end. Like, I know where I want it to be. But when you're doing it, you get into the day-to-day sure. operations and in the beginning, I kept saying, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up any control. I need to do everything myself. Yep. And after I started putting somebody in charge of whatever that was, I'm like, wow, they're better at it than I am. And <laughs> I you don't want to admit day. that. You don't want to admit that. In the beginning, like, well, they're doing that better right. than I am. But if you start doing it early enough and realize that as a business owner, and I was like, you want to be like Walt Disney. You want to have right. the vision, but you don't have to build the park. Exactly. And the problem is in the beginning, you want to do everything. Like, I want to touch every screw, touch yep. every, you know. And just start finding people that are actually better at that. And when they are, start developing that. And then yep. look in the mirror and say, what am I really good at? Mm. And in the beginning, I think as all owners, I'm good at everything. Exactly. I'm the best financial guy. I'm the best fleet guy. Yep. I'm the best sales guy. And you try to do it all. And you're probably not the best at that. That's true. Yep. So what you start doing is say, what am I good at? And I realize I'm a, I'm a great storyteller. I can attract people. So I really wanted to get out there and find people that are better at finance better at sales management, better at, at writing policy and procedures, mm-hmm. better at safety. And I start finding those people and giving them the authority and the responsibility to do it better than I did. And that's that's the biggest compliment. It's not a, well, they're better than I am. Yeah, yeah. you want them to be better they than you. They are better than you and you want yeah. them exactly you know, Collectively, right. you want to have a, a team that's really good and focused. And that's the one thing I say, if I, I wish I would have caught on to that earlier mm-hmm. because I think I worked myself too hard in the beginning and I could have probably grew faster, better, if I released some authority to the people that were probably better at that position than I was. Yeah, this comes with time and experience. That's yep. all really it is, and making lots yep. of mistakes and starting to you yep. know, bang your head on the wall and say, okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. All right, wrapping up here, a couple of things that we talked about is selling the business, right? And eventually retiring someday. So two-part question about retiring is, what does the future look like for Bill when he eventually sells the business or so-called retired? And a lot of other business owners want to, you know, sell the business on Friday and go to the beach on Monday, right? So what's your viewpoint? Where do you think your future looks like after you sell? And why do you think that the selling the business on Friday and doing nothing on Monday is good or bad? 
Well, I don't, I don't think that's good at all. I mean, it's almost like dieting. I mean, you just can't mm-hmm. stop eating tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It, it won't work. You'll fail. And, you know, I already have a plan. I mean, my plan is I want to stay involved in the community. I mean, I wish I had more time to do more community events because it just, it uplifts you. I mean, right. going out to any event, I don't care what event it is, and just watching the community, watching people help. So, you know, my goals as I start slowing down in business, I want to do more and more activations in the community. What, like, where else can I help? And, you know, my wife has been, you know, a great influence in that, it does a lot of behavior sure. specialists in autism. And I just, that's a big part of our lives that we just want to really help that community. And it is a lifelong commitment if you have somebody that's on a spectrum. I mean, yep. it's not, you know, there's children, there's adults live great lives, but, you know, they need assistance forever. So that's how I see myself retiring. I want nice. to slow down in the business to the point that I can help the community even more yeah. so I don't have to stop working. So the idea is as I do this, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to work a little bit less, but put a little more in the community, mm-hmm. then work a little bit less again. So I don't see myself working less hours. It's just a focus. Right. But it, it, it's a plan. It's a strategic plan about how I could do it. And that's why I'm setting up the company that the company still has all these events. The company always has these activations yep. and community engagement so that you know I can kind of continue that legacy, if you would. That's great. That's great. So wrapping up, is there anything you think that that I missed that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I think every owner, if you're, if you're a 20-year-old kid right now starting your own business, if you're a 60-year-old person, understanding the success of your business is going to be the transition of that business to someone else. Whether you sell it, whether you give it to an employee, whether you do an ESOP, whether you do a roll-up. And I think in the beginning, people are just naive to the point. And I was. I thought, I'm just going to run this till, you know, they kick me out in a wheelchair. <laughs> and that's not very healthy for a business. Right. I mean, you know, you can stay involved. You can be on the board of directors. You can set yourself up that you're still engaged in your business. But yep. you really want to give that business over to someone else that's going to continue. Because again, if you want that business to go 50, 60, 80, 100 years, if you look at any business, there might be some family in there that's running it from the second generation, yep. but there's a good chance that it's another another business. Another business. Yeah. Definitely. Well, Bill, this has been great. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me on. I love hearing about your journey again and wish you continued best success in the future. And as you move on and build a company, I look forward to watching it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneur's Journey, hosted by Michael Pelosi, president of HFM Investment Advisors, LLC. To learn more and to subscribe to the show, head on over to hfmadvisors.com. HFM Investment Advisors, LLC is a registered investment advisor. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer for sale or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. All investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendation appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.